Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of the Positive Aging Community. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. Today, we're going to be chatting with Tracy Cram Perkins, who's the author of Dementia Home Care, How to Prepare Before, During, and After. This is probably one of my favorite discussions as Tracy talks about hands-on solutions for reducing repetitive questions, meltdowns, wandering, and using simple fixes found at the hardware store. So let's jump into what is a very informative and thought-provoking discussion with lots of great audience questions. And welcome to the stage, Tracy Cram Perkins, who is the author of Dementia Home Care, How to Prepare Before, During, and After. And uh, um, one of Tracy's little um, things that she likes to share with folks is she has some solutions that we can find in the hardware store. So that's my little nugget that I want to throw out there. I'm excited to hear what uh, Tracy's going to share with us on that front. But um, Tracy is the author of this book, but she's also a working caregiver of of elders and uh, in her family. And uh, so to schedule this event, we had to schedule around her caregiving uh, schedule, which makes talking with Tracy that much more special and authentic. So um, Tracy, welcome. Steve, thank you for having me. And uh, before we dive into the book and, uh, and, and your hardware store hacks for caregivers, um, let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led to you writing this book. Well, my story started with a panic phone call from my younger sister when she found my father unconscious in his apartment. And when he came to in the hospital, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, moderate Alzheimer's disease. And because he lived alone, they would not let him take his, him home with us. And they sent him to a group home. He ended up getting caught up in the system. He knew he was uh, too far advanced for what was going on. And he kept, he could not make his point come across to anyone. They wouldn't listen to him. And we were lobbying to get him home, but I didn't have power of attorney. So what ended up happening is he would, because, because he, he would act out, he would escape. He was a very good at escaping. And every facility would then, after about the fifth escape, would send him to the next higher level of security. By the time he got to his fifth home, which was the most high level secured facility in our area, um, he actually figured out how to unscrew the plate glass window in his room, pull it out, climb out the window in his pajamas and slippers, put the plate glass window back in and go for a walk. Uh, because all he wanted to do the whole time was just go for a walk because he's very active. Um, at that point, they called me two days before Christmas and said, you need to find another place for him. I was able to arrange in that amount of time, getting power of attorney and then getting our home into whatever a dementia care home would look like. And I didn't know. And so then we brought him home. And his first question to me was, Tracy, I have Alzheimer's disease, not the plague. What does it take to be treated like a human being? Wow. That's what started this. And that's why I'm here. 
that's what caused me to write the book. <laughs> I, I love it. Boy, the, we'll, I know we're going to dive into this deeper, but one of the things, you know, as you were talking about the experience with your dad, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, my dad. Um, the, um, and you referenced the place that he was living as a facility. Whenever I hear people say that, I'm like, oh, oh, it's not a facility. It's a community, what have you. But then as you described how they treated him in that place, uh, I think it is safe to say that that was a facility. Uh, and, and that's what I know a lot of us aspire to if mom and dad do need to live somewhere other than our home or a loved one's home, that they are treated like they're living in a, in, in a home, not a facility. And uh, that sounds closer to a jail than uh, a senior living community. And, and he did. He thought he was in prison. Uh, he was over-medicated. By the time we got him home, um, I took uh, his medication list to our local pharmacist, and we were able to take him off of 22 medications that were all having Whoa. drug interaction effects. Uh, they were making him hyperactive. They sent his diabetes through the roof. And when, the, uh, when I took the list into his uh, physician, he took him off of those he sprang back like a flower with miracle grow. It was so amazing to see that his cognition improved. He was able to go for walks by himself. I mean, it, it was just a phenomenal miracle. I love it. And, um, and Tracy, uh, you're, um, uh, most of our community, although it's worldwide now is on the East coast, but you're in, um, you're on the West coast in, uh, in Seattle, basically. Yeah. yeah just outside okay. Seattle. Great. Great. Okay. Well, let me, let me just, I'm just going to share my screen very briefly because we've stumbled into a format for authors, um, on these discussions where basically we just walk through their table of contents but as those of you can see check out the table of contents on tracy's book there's no way we're going to get uh through five chapters if we use that format so the good news is tracy is if, if you, you all can't tell already tracy is very well prepared and uh, she's talked about this to a lot of folks and so I think you put together some slides to help guide our conversation, um, but um, let's let's dive in, uh, Tracy, and uh, then I want to remind our audience that if you have questions, just type them in, um, raise your hand, and uh, Tracy, if you're okay, I will just sort of interrupt you if if our audience or I have a question related to anything that you're sharing. Oh, sure. So can you see my screen? Uh, not yet. Okay. Did Don't I not? Worry. Let me figure out how to. Hold on. I always tell folks this is still takes less time than if um, somebody was walking to the stage. And let's see if I can force it to share. Okay. There you go. Okay, I'm going to start with this particular. Actually, let me start back one more slide. Okay. Okay. So what you're seeing here is a photo of my father and I before he had Alzheimer's disease. This I want to point out for those of you that are not familiar with Alzheimer's disease, the 
brain you're seeing on the left-hand side of your screen is a healthy aged brain. That's anybody 55 and above. The right-hand side is someone with Alzheimer's disease. You'll see that it's shrunken and it's developed holes. Many of you may have already know about this. Um, what happens with this is that it creates uh, really big gaps in their story. So when you ask them a question like, do you remember, or you correct them on their storytelling, when they're telling a story or answering a question, it has nowhere, it's nowhere near what the truth was. It's like asking a 96 year old man to put on a blindfold, turn around on, and then hop over the Grand Canyon on one foot without a parachute or a safety net. It's not going to end well. You're going to find that he'll, the person will argue with you. They'll uh, become upset. They might start crying uh, or you're going to have a catastrophic reaction and they start screaming and, and throwing things. So it's good to know ahead of time that it's not them. It's the disease. So what I have done is tried to show people where to start. So the first thing to look at are memory aids. And one of the things that I found that worked really well in my family, and I stole this from the hospital, was using a whiteboard. Because when you use a whiteboard, you can put all sorts of useful information that they ask repetitive questions about so that they can orient and find the answers for themselves. So if you put on there like uh, what day it is, the date, anything that's gonna be an activity for them that day and answers to their repetitive questions, so that you answer the repetitive question the first time they ask it. And then when they ask it again, you point them to the board. After you've pointed to the board a couple of times, they'll start realizing that, that there's the answer there. It empowers them and they can look up their own answer and it stops the repetitive questions most of the time, not always. Um, also, if you don't have the space to put the date and the time or you're interested in it, there are calendar clocks that you can use that will empower them so that they are oriented and know that it's Tuesday and not Saturday, or they'll know what time it is and whether it's morning or afternoon. Uh, my aunt who I'm caring for currently, this is her favorite device because it, she keeps thinking it's Saturday and she looks at the clock and realizes that today's Thursday. So it's been very helpful for her to orient, know the day and the time and the date. She also knows what year it is, and which is kind of amazing because she's just on the border of moderate uh, Alzheimer's disease. Um, another thing to think about when somebody gets to a later moderate portion of the disease or into early severe, they lose their nouns first. You'll notice they have trouble speaking. There's gaps in their sentences longer and longer as they search for a word. At some point, they're going to lose all of their nouns and you're going to get strange questions like, when is the jet landing? Or something like, the dog drank go juice. So if you're sitting there at the table and your mom says to you, the dog drank go juice, what the heck is she trying to say? Because uh, is she trying to tell you she needs more coffee or does the dog need to take a personal moment? You just don't know. So using cueing cards, you can actually Actually, and it's, it's easy to get good with this after you've practiced a little bit. Um, ask them a question like, um, can you describe it or, or can you point to it? And then show, flip through the card deck. On that card deck, it's all pictograms. It's easier for them to pick out a picture than it is to pick out words necessarily. So then you can have them point out what the problem is and you'll know that maybe it is they need to go to the bathroom, uh, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're in pain. You just, just so you can get an idea of how it works. Once you get good at it, you show every member of your family and you show your friends, anybody that does support, and then they can help you with respite because they'll be enabled to get the answers that you need to help that person. 
Another thing to think about is uh, if they're in the early stages and they can still uh, live on their own, getting something like a pill minder uh, with automated pill minders. The, the one I'm showing is the one that we actually use with my family. Uh, it comes with an app so you can actually see if you're at work that they've taken their pills. Uh, this does not circumvent if they take the pills out of the pill minder and then set them down because they got interrupted and walked away and then they forgot. But at least it helps. It has an audible alarm. It also can be programmed so you can have your voice saying it's time to take your morning medications. It's time to take your medications at lunch. However, however many times a day they have to take them, it's got a prompt on it. It's also designed so that they cannot open it up because it requires two hands to open the lid. And this particular one comes with a lock so that they can't open it if they're like really gifted like my father who was good at figuring stuff out. Uh, another thing to think about is using memory books. It tells your loved one's story. Oh, this is what I call a threefer. When you're using the memory book, you want to put in pictures that don't have any more than three people in it. I'll talk about this in a second, but you want to show pictures from their present, how they look now, back to when they're about five years old. And you're going to end up putting sentences underneath that you don't want, as I said, you don't want to show more than three pictures or people in the picture. And you also, what you don't want to do is put a sentence longer than eight to 10 words because they'll get lost uh, by the end of the sentence if it's longer than eight to 10 words. In that, you want to use, uh, tell their story, put uh, anything meaningful in there, like places they worked, churches they attended, schools they attended, anything in their life that was a highlight. What you're going to use this for also is a distraction technique when they are upset or feeling out of control or, or just can't handle the noise that's going on around them. Uh, you also want to know where they are in their timeline. So if, you can, if they are asking a question and you don't know exactly where they are, you can show them the book. They can tell you so that they say they need to go home. They need to go home. And they think that they're 18 years old and that their parents are going to be worried about them by showing them the pictures so they can show you who it is. Then you can say, your mom called. She said, it's too dark for you to come home. And so you want to, I want you to spend the night and I'll come pick you up in the morning. This gives them a relief. It tells them, okay, their family member knows where they are. They're not going to get into trouble and that they can relax. So it's a great tool. It also, um, when they get to a point where they have pictures that upset them, you can have, make sure that this is removable pages because they'll come a point when they see a photo of themselves and that to them is like another person they don't know because they don't recognize themselves. If you take that out, you can put in other pages and then again, they'll enjoy looking through the book. So anytime there's something that gives them an issue, you just take it out and put something else in. Um, the other thing to think about is if English is their second language, have a second book already made in their native tongue. When people with dementia uh, lose their language, it usually happens like in a short space, like after a, a, a fall, a broken hip, an illness, and it can take place in two to three weeks. It's that fast. Um, and then they won't understand what you're saying to them. And you can tell because they'll get upset, they'll get frustrated, or they'll stop looking at you. So if you have something where you can still engage them and they can still read it, you can still connect with them. Man, uh, Tracy, th these are some great things. And as promised, yeah, I, some of those things you could get at an office supply store or a hardware store or what have you. But um, a couple of things that I wanted to kind of comment on there is the the, the book is uh, the the book with the photos and the history is amazing and it's so needed 
for everybody, you know, that to the ability to sort of reflect back on topics of interest and especially especially if there's a paid caregiver that has no knowledge of the history of mom and dad, um, how important that can be. But I loved your comment about getting to their place, um, where they're at. Uh, we've had multiple folks talk to us about caring for loved ones with dementia and how important that is. But it's also the place where as family members, we get really frustrated because why is mom not in my place? Okay, well, she can't get there. Uh, let's let's get in her place. And um, the other thing that I, uh, you know, on taking the pills, uh, the I, I wish I could track this guy down, but there was a gentleman who was uh, developed a pill minder that had a video element to it. And uh, the reason it was developed for the Iraqi soldiers because they were um, either selling their medications or not taking them. And so it had this video element to it, which is, you know, one of the challenges that we all face with um, anybody that has to take medications. But hearing that your dad had to take 22 different medications it's crazy. Oh, yeah. It, well, he was when I took him out of the nursing home, he had, was on 38 pills and we took him off 22 of them because uh, oh, they wow. were all to medicate him, to calm him down, to mm -hmm. make him compliant and because they didn't have enough staff. Yeah. And so that's and so I apologize for using the word facility, but to him, it was a prison. Oh, yeah. No. And it sounds like the the way that he was being treated there was closer, was more close to a facility than a, than a home, which led you down your, your journey. OK, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, oh, no. uh, keep on going. These are great. These are great. Use, very useful tips. So let's talk about music for just a second. Um, music was, is one of the last things to leave a person with uh, dementia. doesn't matter if they have Alzheimer's disease or FTD or Parkinson's or white matters disease. It does not matter. It's, the, it's in a part of the brain that is the last to go. Um, most of us still, when we're driving in our car, still listen to our, the music we grew up with. So you can either reach your family member by, if they're upset with the noise, moving them to a quieter place, playing their favorite music. Usually it's the music from their teens and twenties, uh, or you can sing songs with them. One of the things I was able to do when we would be in restaurants would be able to sing songs with my dad quietly uh, if it got too noisy, because uh, sound really, really is hard to process for somebody with dementia. And so he would get very, very upset and aggravated. And we would either say nursery rhymes or we would sing his favorite song. Um, one of the things we would do when we were at home is he loved to sing Pop Goes the Weasel. He couldn't remember the words. And so he changed them to Poop Goes the Noodle. And we would laugh every single time. And once I got him laughing, and laughter is a really big tool, uh, once he was laughing, it was really easy to get him to do whatever I needed him to do. And it's worked with every one of my family members. So I can tell you for a fact that music and laughter are two of the best tools you can use. 
Okay. Now let's talk about wandering because uh, if you've ever looked at the Alzheimer's statistics, six out of 10 people with Alzheimer's disease will wander. Um, this I got as a tip from the Alzheimer's Association and it saved my bacon. The first time my father uh, wandered off from my own house before we addressed the, the need that was causing the wandering, um, he'd been wearing the same clothes for three days. And I, when, when he disappeared, I couldn't tell you what he was wearing. I, my mind went blank. I didn't even call 911. I, I couldn't describe him. And they said that I needed to search for him first before they would even bother helping because they were too understaffed. So I was like, oh God, how am I going to happen? My neighbors turned out and helped me find him. Uh, so I went on the Alzheimer's Association's website, found out that I could take a daily photo and I put it into a routine for us where it also included uh, changing clothes, bathing and having an activity in the evening for sundowners. What we ended up doing is uh, in the evening when he would start sundowning, I would ask him to help me wrap a present for a friend. We would wrap this present. It would actually have a pair of his clothes in it. He didn't ever saw it. He just would help me wrap it. It didn't matter that the wrapping was not artistic. It was you know, wherever he could get stuff on there. He connected it. Uh, the next morning, I would put that on his pillow. Uh, he would uh, come in after breakfast and he would find that and he'd be so excited because also in there would be a note that I recycled from family members telling about this gift they gave him. He would get so excited about this gift. He'd put on the new clothes and I would take a picture that I was going to send to the person that gave him the clothing so that they would see what he was wearing and I could have my daily photo. Um, this became wow. a routine for us. It worked really well. And also it helped me bathe and wash his laundry. And then I had multiple uh, outfits that were the exact same thing. I would just go on and buy like five or six tops so that when he lost something and someone came in and stole it, um, I would be the hero because I could find it. And even though I didn't find it, I got him a new one. So it, it's one of those things you work it into their routine. It makes it easier it, for you. You don't have a lot of stress. Uh, he's or your family member is occupied. Um, so we, we were able to get the loved one, you know, the loved one's photo in there. And I, he also, we had fun. We played, uh, he would joke around and pretend he was like some model and, and, do stuff for me it was it was a lot of fun we you made know, it fun uh, i tell you tracy i hate to interrupt you here but oh, but myself carol lynn that that is probably one of the best ideas that i've ever heard as as a caregiver with cognitive impairment but you know like let's think about that there's probably a lot of people that are parents and grandparents in the audience Imagine doing that with your kid. Like, I mean, yeah, I could see a little child also getting excited about, you know, like, let's say you can't get your kid to change clothes. You, you do this wrapping of it and every, oh my, what a great idea. What a, and, and what a way to make it special. And I love sharing the photos with the network. Everything about that tip is just amazing. Great. Wow. And, and, just a quick blurb on the book. The book is the same way. It's a toolbox. You use the tools when you need them. And that really outrageous uh, table of contents is actually eight pages long. You can run your finger down it and scan looking for the exact item you want and turn to that page. You do not have to search. So, uh, because it's, uh, 
living through that stress and knowing before I knew how to do any of these things and just going crazy and trying to find something in a book somewhere, remembering I read it, you know, three days ago and, but I couldn't figure out which book it was. And then I'd find it two weeks later. I wanted it all in one spot where people don't have to go through what we went through. So that was, that was part of that. <laughs> I love it. So now let's talk about disguising exits. This is really key. And you'll see this in a lot of, uh, I, I don't remember the word that you use, Steve, for communities. For communities. Thank yeah. you. Okay. In, in communities, uh, I know that uh, one of the communities that one of my family members stayed in, they painted a mural of Mount Rainier over the door and the wall and around the corner. And so no one could see the door. So we're going to talk about disguising your doors. So the first thing you want to look at is painting the door the same color. This is very inexpensive and could be done from your hardware store. Uh, painting the door, the jam, and the walls all the same color. We're going to use the achromatopsia that comes along with Alzheimer's disease. That's where they can't differentiate colors. They go pretty much they go colorblind. They can see, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in a couple more slides, uh, but they're going to use uh, matching colors to disguise stuff, or you're going to use something like black to help people avoid the hole because they'll see a hole. And again, I'll talk about this more in a couple of slides, but by painting the door the same color as the wall and the door jam, it becomes invisible. Um, the next thing you want to think about is you can use a shower curtain. They're very inexpensive. Now, I like this one because it actually has a picture of a door on it. It is too busy for someone with Alzheimer's disease. What you want to do is you want to disguise it so it looks like a, a, a window. So if you put a shower curtain over it, 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 they have a lot of them nowadays that you can buy, even on Wayfair, where you can find something that's pretty. It looks like a, a drapery, and you can just hang that over the door, and then it turns them back from exiting because you don't walk out a window unless it's my father. So another thing to think about is putting window film artwork on sliding glass doors or any of your glass doors. That way it's art, it's not a door or an exit. Another thing to think about, and this is where I'm talking about the black, uh, if you don't want them walking out the door, place a black doormat in front of all the exits any exit door, uh, they will see a hole, they'll perceive a hole, and you don't have to tell them they will turn around and walk away from it. I discovered this uh, by accident. Um, I had, I needed a, I was having too much dirt being tracked in when the guys were out gardening, my husband and my father. And so they would track all this dirt in. So I bought them a mat and I threw it in front of the door on both sides so that they could wipe their feet in and out. And I noticed that my dad stopped going in that door. And then I removed the mat and he walked back in the door again. So then I put it back out thinking, oh, that was just a one-off And nope, he turned around. So it became obvious at that point that it was the black. I started researching it and that's how I discovered the power of using black for a hole. Um, also putting signs in the door and all of these uh, things that I'm going to be giving you today, you have to figure out what works best for your loved one. Not all of these will work for everyone. Yeah, and, and okay. thanks thanks for saying that, Tracy, because uh, um, yeah, these are amazing ideas. But for those of you in the audience, it's just this is just a starting point and uh, and modifying it, like you said. I mean, not every person with dementia may react the same way to a black mat, but if you try it out and you're successful, boom, it it works. Exactly. So uh, doors with signs on them. 
Have you ever walked into a store and it says uh, not an exit and you turn around, you have to go out the other door? This works for people who also have dementia. So you can put a sign on the door like stop. You might see that in uh, care communities. Uh, authorized personnel only, keep out, all of these listed. Now, here's a fun one. This doesn't work for everybody, but uh, if you have someone like my father and you put, uh, it's the women's room, he did <laughs> not go in the women's room. Oh, wow. God, this is great. So, I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's whatever works for your family member. For some people, you don't, you might not want to do that if then it makes them not go to use public restrooms. So you just got to kind of be careful with that. Exactly. Um, okay. Oh, let, yeah, me, let me, before you start this slide, um, Jose just uh, had a question and he says, Tracy, your ideas are good, but I'm more interested in learning about your motivation. What helped you stay the course as a caregiver and why isn't your mo your motivation more prevalent in today's world? Uh, great, great question, Jose. And I'm glad if we can get your feedback on that now, and then we'll get back on track with your tips. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, before I really lost my father to the fog of dementia, he made me promise him that I would find a way to help other people do what I'm doing. And that's what put me on this track. So it's kind of like, because you lose your family member twice, this was like his dying wish before he died, even though he was with me another three years before he passed away. And it was a very powerful motivator for me because I do not want to see other people going through what we went through. And we, on his first night living with us, um, I didn't understand about hypothermia and he ended up with hypothermia on our first night um, because he came from a care facility that was 80 degrees. It was December. Realize this is two days after Christmas was so December or actually three days to December 28th. We had snow on the ground. It was 34 degrees outside and my house was 67 degrees. Mm. So he went into hypothermia. I am not a medical practitioner. I didn't know what to do. So I checked his blood sugar. I checked his blood pressure. Uh, it didn't occur to me to check his temperature. And I also didn't have cards that he could point to because he kept telling me, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong because he couldn't tell me. Um, so then the paramedics showed up. When they showed up, they, and this is really a motivating factor for me, um, they discovered that he had uh, hypothermia, which I didn't, I put the signs of hypothermia in the book so you will recognize them and when to call 911. Um, they, the fire, the, the last paramedic to leave said to me, he goes, I expect to be back many times. And I'm one of those people that it was not going to happen on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell. As, as Jose said, boy, if we could, uh, um, if people would take your, your, your story as many people are putting in chat, what, what a, what a, what an inspiration, what a touching moment, what a wonderful father daughter relationship was your dad. Your dad sounds like a wonderful person in that he, um, gave you permission to sort of go in this direction whereas so many of us who've cared for loved ones with dementia it, if there's not that communication in advance um it can be a very aggressive and challenging situation i i got very lucky i was very close to both of my parents and we had the best communication of all my siblings so for me it was um it was easier than it was for, for, for my, the rest of my family. And I 
ended up teaching them as we progressed along with family members on what worked for me. And that's another part of why I wrote the book the way I did to just so you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with me, even though I'm not there. You can pick my brain and we can share that moment and also a laugh. All right, great. Um, now let's see. I I don't want to derail things too much, but I, I but I really like it when we engage with the audience because it, now we're answering their questions. I've got a couple hands that are raised, Felicia and Amanda. If either of you did not do that by mistake, sometimes folks. Oh, it looks like Amanda did it by mistake. Um, but Felicia, if if you had a question that you'd like to ask, you can. Um, unmute your 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 mic and ask it but um let's see what happens there but you can move on to the next slide oh okay so if all the things i just described don't work we change how the door works so in doing so you would replace the active doorknob with an inactive handle, and then you can either put the doorknob at the top or the bottom of the door. If you have small children in the house, you definitely want to do the top. However, if you are married to a giant of a person and you are the very short person, you put it at the bottom. That's how it works in my house. Um, the other thing you want to think about is using something like a bar lock like they have in the hotels because it's too complicated for somebody with dementia to figure out unless they're extremely strong, they're not gonna be able to rip the door open and they, and you'll hear it. It'll make a lot of noise if they're trying to figure out how to get it open. If they get frustrated, they'll stop and they'll turn away and try someplace else. Um, another thing to think about, and this is not exactly a popular idea, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, uh, is using keyed locks, uh, especially the, the, uh, deadbolts. Uh, not everyone agrees with that. It can be a safety concern. Um, we used it in our household because my father was really incredibly gifted at escape. He and sounds so, like James Bond. I mean, it's like uh, literally. He, he was a brilliant, brilliant man with his hands. I mean, he could figure things out. You know, you put it in his hands and it's like, okay, I can take this apart. And uh, until the, towards the end, he could not put them back together. But I, so I honor that, but I also had to figure out a way to, because I also worked from home, to figure out how I could prevent the wandering from happening if I could, if I was on the telephone and I couldn't hear it. So we used a keyed lock when we had company or we were all home, It what the door was not locked. So it was just during those times when I was having an issue where I needed to make sure he didn't uh, wander off. And I mean, I didn't care if the, the neighbors came over and visited, but I just didn't want him out wandering away because he could get lost or disoriented. So that's my one controversial thing. The child safety locks, those work just as well for adults. So, you know, use them, they're cheap. Now, another thing to think about is if you already have an alarm on your home, uh, have that just armed for stay, because then when somebody opens the door, you immediately hear it. You will have time to catch them because once they get out the door, they can be pretty darn quick. Um, the other thing to use is uh, entry chimes or a doorbell, you know, like in a shopkeeper's doorbell. What we used is the last one here because I am a Christmas junkie. I had Christmas decorations all over the house, but this was intentional because then my father wouldn't question why I had jingle bells on the door. So every time anyone opened the door, the jingle bells would ring and I would be alerted that somebody's coming in or out of the house. Um, also, putting a wooden dowel in the window tracks, especially with sliding glass doors. Oh, with Alzheimer's disease, 
you may have noticed that they will become very uh, mono-focused on what's right in front of them. They have tunnel vision. They can't see what's going on around them. They'll never look down to see the dowel in the sliding glass door track. So if you don't want them going out the sliding glass door, they'll keep pulling on it, it won't open. They can't get out. Any questions? Um, I think we are still good. So keep on going. All righty. So one other quick thing is, and this is very fun, it because most people won't see it, is having the window lock. Uh, with the window lock, it's really easy for us to put it in, but again, it will require two hands for somebody with dementia to pull out. And so it's difficult for them to be able to get out a window. Um, as you know, my father already could do windows. Now, I mentioned earlier about color. Let me get all the colors up here. Let's talk about color. As I said before, black looks like a hole. White is your friend. It's great for disguising things. It's also great for contrast. When you want to orient somebody to like their uh, dinner plate to keep them feeding, if you have white on your tablecloth and then you use something like red or blue, I learned this uh, by studying researcher Alice Cronin Golem. She is a researcher at the University of Boston and she was uh, doing studies on people with severe Alzheimer's disease. She found that people that uh, had either red or blue plates and cups were uh, in with red, 78% more likely to self-feed, and it was 45% more likely to drink fluids. Blue was slightly less. Uh, it was 27% for drinking, and it was something like 30-something percent for eating. But when you have a red plate, and they also have these available online where you can get like scoop plates for them, but anything where you only put one portion at a time, because if you overload the plate, they won't, they'll, they'll become overwhelmed and they won't eat it depending on how far along they are. So if they're like an early or early moderate, it's not a problem. But when they get farther on, I noticed this with my mother-in-law, we were feeding her on red plates and, and the in-laws would pile her plates high with food. Uh, let's say a Thanksgiving dinner, for example, where you've got gravy, mashed potatoes, turkey, it's all the same color. And all she could see was just some pile. She couldn't identify it as food. And so she wouldn't eat. She would just sit there and stare and cry. After we figured that out, then it became much easier to get her to eat because we just did it like little appetizers. And this worked for the rest of my family. So um, also, if you want to have uh, orient them to like their favorite uh, tools that they use, like maybe a table lamp or a picture that, that they enjoy, put a red or a blue frame on it. It needs to be a bright blue or a bright red, similar to the colors you're seeing on the screen. Uh, if it's too dark or you use too much color, they won't see it. Um, also, pastels are great for hiding things in plain sight uh, because of the way Alzheimer's disease works the pastels will make it invisible. They just can't see it. Uh, and, and, and you'll notice even as people are getting older, you've got the thickening of the lenses and your eyes yellow a little bit. Um, again, going back to a chromatopsia, that's where they can see uh, the black, the white. It's, it's like having you know a, a, a color blindness, I guess you could say, and then seeing the red and the bright blues, but they have to be bright enough for them to see them. Any questions on that one? Um, no, we are doing great. These are just amazing tips that you're I, I, I'm just blown away. So what we're going to do now is talk about something that is not about me. Uh, other recommended reading, because 
there are so many things out there besides what I wrote. And I wanna highlight some of the really impressive works out there. So the first thing is Dr. Dale Bredesen's book. You may or may not have heard of it. It's called The End of Alzheimer's. I've had a few of my readers write to me and tell me that I needed to look at this book. It turns out that some of the things that I did for my dad was in his program. And that's how we got three extra years out of his life where he had his cognition come back. Um, I also want to talk about everyone knows about the 36 hour day, but not everyone knows about the 36 hour day. It's considered the Bible of dementia care. It's the probably most comprehensive, the most recent edition, which I'm got illustrated here is a little more difficult to read because it's now written in columns as opposed to uh, going straight across some paragraphs. I've had several of my readers contact me telling me it's too difficult to read. But for those of you that would enjoy reading that, it's there. Um, also, Gail Weatherill's book, The uh, Caregiver's Guide to Dementia. It's a really quick book. It's very thin. It's got a lot of really interesting tips in it. Uh, and she's been doing it for over 40 years. Uh, Creating Moments of Joy Along the Alzheimer's Journey was the book that saved my life. Uh, it's got really great tips in it. It's little vignettes. It walks you through how to, to use each little thing, how to encourage someone to bathe, how to get them to, um, I don't know, eat, how to get them to participate in things, how to get, how to know what to do with them if you're traveling. I mean, it's just a fabulous book. And then the last one is Share the Care because dementia care is so isolating. It's really a great idea to be able to create your caregiving community. If you can teach your friends and families, because most of the people are afraid of dementia, if you can ways that they can connect and communicate not only is it, does it give you respite but it also builds a community so that after your loved one's gone you have a tightening group that you will rely on for the rest of your life wow um uh okay i'm just getting the link for the share the care book i i got all of the other links um in the the chat there uh for folks and um whoops okay um oh and somebody says dixie bosley says um uh tipa snow very helpful her videos um i i love tipa snow um i feature her a lot in my book i have links to her website i also uh created uh, on as my giveaway for my newsletter the uh, 10 Steps to Calming Aggressive Dementia Behavior based on the work of Tipa Snow. She's literally the one that taught me how to do that from her videos. Wow. You, you know, this, it, I, I just love everything about this conversation. You are just, I, I mean, I, I just want to give you a hug. I mean, it's oh. like <laughs> the, the, the resources that you share, but I love how you're, you shared with us some of the inspirations and the places where you gathered more information which i think is is so helpful and and just just amazing tracy i uh, thank you so much this is um and gene says the information is very helpful i never thought of the color um the aspect of the color um and uh, uh good thanks dixie uh dixie says i feel the same way Steve, Tracy is brilliant. Yeah, I, I am so glad that our paths have crossed. I've learned so much from you today. Um, do, do you have any, uh, I'm, I'm scared, I know you've got a lot more to share, but uh, on your slide deck, do you have any any more for us? The only thing I have next is my um, my contact information. Okay, throw that up there oh, because okay. I, I know everybody's 
going to want to reach out to you. And and I and folks, before we started talking, I I always say with our authors, I was like, okay, we know one of the calls to action for the community is to get your book, but do you do consulting or is there something else that you want the community to sort of react with? And Tracy reminded me that she is currently a caregiver right now and uh, she said you know when when this chapter of her life is is done she will probably be out there uh have more time to devote to help others but but you had heard her say you've got your newsletter um how often do you send that out it's once a month okay. although i and i have a a, a place an archive for the newsletters for back issues. Uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, in this last two months, uh, my aunt almost died twice. So I have been a little remiss in getting my newsletter out on time. It will be coming out next week. Um, but so it, it will be there. <laughs> Great. So um, I'll make sure to also share your email, contact your website, the, the link to where they get, I'll share all this with you with folks with the recording this is going to be recorded and i have a funny feeling there's going to be a lot of sharing of this uh of this recording tracy steve thank you and i do want to point out i have a resources page that is the update from the back of my book it lists over 130 resources there's a menu at the top uh, so if you go to my resources page it shows you everything from how to get help with prescriptions to getting distraction techniques like using uh uh, animate ro robotic dogs or cats. Uh, it also has things like uh, doing uh, for different communities. So if you're uh, in the Hispanic community, uh, if you're in the black community, wh wherever you are, there's different links on there. Also, if you have things, and I'm still working on it. So if you have references or resources that you found work for you, please contact me through my uh, website or email me and let me know what it is so that I can share it with other people so they could benefit from it too. Also, I have under the useful forms, there's a couple different things. The behavior trigger list is a huge one. Um, I wrote it out for my book and then realized that I would just rather give this away to everybody. There's an instruction sheet that's the first sheet. It helps you figure out what's triggering their crazy behaviors. So if you've got somebody like, let's say your mom is living with you and she starts taking the remote around the house and starts banging it on all the furniture uh, every night when you're trying to cook dinner, um, she's trying to tell you something. What she is, is she's lost. She knows she's supposed to be doing something um, and you've got to figure out what's creating the behavior. And if you do this for three or four nights in a row and record what it is, you can pretty much figure out what distraction techniques to use. It gives you a place to record those distraction techniques so you can share it with all of your family members and friends, any caregivers that come in so that they're prepared and they can deal with it instead of being overwhelmed by the behavior. So that's another tool to think about. Wow. Oh man. I, th this is, this is so g great. I, I um, am blown away. So, uh, and uh, in, in chat, like we're, we're not getting questions. We're just getting so many kudos for um, uh, this wonderful information that you're sharing with us. As, as I look at the clock, we're getting close to the top of the hour. Um, so I wanna make sure to remind folks that if you've got a question um, to, to either type it in to Q&A, raise your hand, and we will uh, get to this. 
Let me, I, I, I saw something on your chapter. Um, okay. Uh, this is uh, to drive or not to drive. That is the question. Um, we, we did have a discussion a, a couple of weeks ago on the car keys. How do you sort of uh work with that and i know that this is a very common challenge of our community members is is that it's that transition where it feels like dementia is creeping in and mom or dad is is driving any thoughts or insights that you can share with us in that area okay this is where my evil side is going to come out and i'm going to smile maniacally um there are several distraction techniques you can use or even tools you can use. Uh, if it's a car with a keyed car, so you've got car keys, uh, go to a junkyard, get copies of keys for the same car and scatter that all around the house. Uh, uh, but you hold on to the actual key. They will get lots of exercise going out, trying the car keys that aren't working in the car and then coming back in and finding the next car key and doing the same thing. So that's one way of handling the key situation. And then they're going to think something's wrong with it. Another thing to do is if the car is older than 2000, uh, take out the fuel pump fuse. It will show that the car is full of gas, but you cannot start the car. The ignition will be uh, disengaged because there's reading no fuel and it doesn't want to damage the engine. Um, another thing to think about is if you have gotten rid of the car or not necessarily gotten rid of the car, but let's say that the car is out of sight where they can't see it or use it, then you can tell them that it's at the shop being fixed when they ask and that there's a part that's been recalled and that they're waiting for the part. And in today's world, there's a lot of waiting for parts. So it's a very legitimate answer that you can give over and over again, and it should help resolve the issue, at least for the temporary. So those are some ideas that you can use. Uh, and then here's my favorite, and this is a really, really naughty. Tell them that the insurance has been canceled and that they can no longer drive the car. Most people uh, of the age right now, anybody 65 and older, uh, understands about insurance, play the insurance card, use that to your advantage, and say that you ha they have some sort of issue where they can't drive the car because the insurance has been canceled. Well, some great, some great tips. And yes, you know, I, I know that when you implement things like that, you feel like an evil uh, scientist, you know, but it's if for the safety of our loved ones and for the community at large, you know, so um, Dixie Bosley uh, says, uh, what about day health programs to give the caregiver the break? Do you have any experience or thoughts to share on that adult. I, I never realized how important adult day health is for the caregivers. Oh, it's huge. I, okay. I never had the opportunity to do that because our senior center was closed where I live. So we didn't have day adult programs, but to every one of my friends who have been doing it, they tell me that a, they, when they get their family member back, that, uh, they're a little more exhausted, so they're a lot more compliant. They also have had a really good day. And so you get to have that break and it's just any respite you can get, whether it's an hour, a half an hour, going for a walk, just taking some downtime, do it. I, I can't emphasize that enough. I have an entire chapter just talking about uh, respite care, getting, getting some downtime, but also with 
having the the daycare centers, they are able to, your loved one's able to socialize. And that's really huge. The more you can get them to socialize, the the longer they'll maintain their cognition. Yep. And, and it, and it can give a caregiver a break. Um, Absolutely. yeah. And, um, let's see, uh, Carol says, I'm comforted that it's okay to fib in order to protect and help your loved one. It seems uncomfortable, but it would be definitely avoid conflict and arguments. And, and our loved ones are mass can be master manipulators at making us feel guilty. And um, it's important, especially parents, it's important to remember that Deborah says it's called compassionate fibbing. Um, And um, the uh, let's see, Christine says, thank you so much for an awesome session. My father lives alone is in the beginning stages three years in and I can tell he's beginning to decline these past few months. I will definitely be purchasing your book. Bless you. the um and let me let, you know let, as as we kind of wrap things up here let's in your sequentially in your book towards the end you sort of move to um the signs that death may be approaching and and you know i i'd be curious at some of your thoughts on you know how to look at that stage um and and some of the solutions that you may have presented well when you get to that stage you have been grieving a long long time you're going to feel guilty but and you're going to also feel guilty over feeling relieved that it's happening because your loved one's being released from a really awful disease and i just want to let you know it's okay to feel that you're relieved. It really is okay. That's not a bad thing because of all the things that you've been going through. But um, when you're getting to that end stage in the last six months of life, you're going to have lots of trips to the hospital. There's going to be lots of trips to rehab. There's going to be um, moments of just absolute gut-wrenching. You're not getting sleep. You're just going to be weeping and crying uh, or depressed or or a lot of things are going to happen during that time. Uh, That's the time to get palliative care or hospice in because you really need that extra support. Medicare pays for it. Also, if you have supplemental insurance, they'll also help cover part of the cost. Um, You don't have to pay for that because Medicare does. So it takes the burden off of you. What that does is it gives you support uh, emotionally. It gives you support for your family member because then they have somebody that they can talk to if they're still communicating. It gives you a nursing staff. Uh, it's it's really a broad base of support. Think of palliative care as like compassion dying. And then hospice is where you get the extra support with medication. Well, they give medication both in palliative care and hospice, but um, there's different, definitely different degrees. Also, when the hospice care ends, you still have access to that for the rest of your life to be able to call and talk to people. So, and no one that is a caregiver, we've all earned our stripes. It doesn't go away. And the more support you get, the better off you are. And it's really hard around holidays. It's really hard around birthdays uh, when you are, or anniversaries for that matter, if you're caring for a spouse to be reminded of something and it could trigger an emotional meltdown you weren't expecting. So uh, getting as much help and support as you can, I encourage that strongly because you will need it great words of wisdom and and also you know learning about as dixie says learning about the hospice eligibility before you need it um okay kim clark carlin kim carlin check i can all never pronounce her name any hints for toileting when somebody fights the bathroom 
pulling pants down to use the toilet. Any any words of wisdom there? Okay, this is where you need to make it a treat. Instead of uh, forcing them, it's inviting them into the bathroom. Uh, you have to kind of figure out why they're fighting you. Uh, so it depends on your loved one. If it's something where uh, they don't understand or there's some fear, uh, that's where the meltdown trigger list is going to come in handy. And you can see if it's your behavior that's causing them to melt down to get them into the toileting, because a lot of times we don't realize it, but it's something that we're doing that actually triggers them to fight you. If you ask them to come in and help you do something and, oh, look, let's use the toilet. And just in case, you know, it's just like, it's conveniently there. What a surprise. Cause I'm putting towels away or I'm doing this and, and just invite them to help you. Um, my father shadowed me everywhere I went because he wasn't sure what he was supposed to be doing. So for me, it was easier to get him to do things because I would be doing it around the house and go, Oh, by the way, since we're here, do you want to take a time out? And Oh, sure. You know, so it just invite. And, and it's a really hard thing to make that transition because you're, exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you kind of get a short temper and it's hard to think beyond that. And you just, all you're wanting to do is just go someplace else and scream or cry. And, and so having just little tools in place that you can use to just invite them in and come and do whatever it is, because don't you like to be invited for things too? I mean, it's, so it's just inviting them into that scenario so they won't fight you. Um, also make sure that the bathroom looks like a bathroom and doesn't have anything that reminds them of being a medical facility. So so if you've got a, a, like walking belts or things like that, where you're, you're helping them walk uh, or depends sitting out, they may, they may freak out. So just kind of watch their body language. They'll tell you what they don't like and what they don't and do like with their body language, as well as with their uh, words or sounds or whatever it is that they can communicate with at that point. But anything you can do to invite them in. And as long as you're calm, that's the other key component. The more calm, the more you smile, the more you laugh, the easier it is for you to get them to do things and join you with it. Man, the, you it provide such brilliant insight, especially we know the challenges that families are going through where this can be this behavior can be so frustrating and it creates so much conflict that your insight and your field of vision and the suggestions that you've given us are are just absolutely amazing. I, I um, man, I am just so um, uh Oh, and, and Carol says that utilizing the colors and, and reflecting on the colors that you have in that bathroom uh, that you suggested can also, yeah, imagine if it's a bathroom with a black, um, a bunch of black uh, 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 bath mats uh, on the floor, you know, you might have a problem there, but it's, it's sitting back and it's observing, and that's so hard for us to do as family members, but I'm so glad that you've given us permission to sort of uh, to do that. This is Tracy. This is definitely one of the best discussions that I've ever been a part of. And uh, I'm going to try to pull out a few of these tips and um, get those on our website and social media, because uh, I mean, I'm still the present wrapping the clothes as a, a present is just absolutely brilliant. I, I love that. And um, uh, man, I, I really do want to give you a hug. I mean, you <laughs> are, you, you have um, amazing insight and um, you are truly an inspiration. I, I thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. And um, all right, folks. Well, 
Um, and, and Dixie says, me too, your dad would be proud. And I, I, I tell you what, uh, I, yeah, I, this is, um, this has been a really great, I'm getting choked up, man. This has been a really great, just thinking about your dad, just kind of choked me up there. So, uh, thank you so much, Dixie. I mean, thank you so much, Tracy. And thanks to you so much, Dixie and the audience. And, um, I'll get this recording up and, uh, Let's all have a wonderful uh, weekend. I hope I see uh, some of you tomorrow at the VHC virtual uh, resource fair. But um, again, uh, I, I, I'm just speechless. This has been wonderful, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. And let's see here. If I can get us out of this okay all right folks we'll see you at the next one